On today's episode of another OU Football Podcast brought to you by the Norman Transcript, we'll be talking Big 12, some big picture stuff about the conference as we have gotten through the season. We've played a conference championship game. Now we're going to take a little check at the the pulse of the league oklahoma obviously being the champion but just kind of looking around the league and we brought in college football insider shahan Raja of dave campbell's texas football to give us some perspective he's uh, covers not the texas longhorns exclusively he covers them a little bit but covers the state as a whole as far as college football goes and so uh, shahan does a great job over there we'll include his links uh, to his twitter and to the website where if you if you want to check out his work and maybe give them a subscription uh, you're more than welcome to um if you're interested in that kind of thing but shahan uh you know, touch on some really good things as far as uh, what he thinks of this Baylor program that Oklahoma just saw a week ago for the second time this season, as well as kind of taking a look at, you know, teams like the Texas Longhorns, what they have in store for them as they kind of hit a point where it's kind of make it or break it year next season for for Tom Herman. And so we kind of go over what what's happened with some of those schools um, in Texas uh, with Shahan. It was a really good conversation. Enjoy talking about it. Before we get to that, though, it's a Friday afternoon as we record this and just wanted to share uh, some overall thoughts. Um, we had the college football awards last night. Oklahoma did not bring home any uh any trophies really it was uh, it was a weird thing and i kind of bring this up with shahan but it has been so much of the case that oklahoma has been the team that has collected all the awards and sometimes has fallen short in the in their their you know their subsequent bowl games and they're kind of in a weird position where they are not the team that was recognized individually quite as much as some other schools that are in the same position that they're in lsu being one of them racked up quite a few with joe burrow and jamar chase uh so there are some things there that i think are interesting as far as oklahoma really can and i think even before the award show can claim to be the underdog that no one is giving much of a chance and i think that you all saw that on selection sunday as far as what analysts were saying about the sooners and what the overall narrative is about this oklahoma football team as they enter the college football playoff for the fourth time in five seasons taking on top ranked lsu and while they're not being given being given much of a chance, they're going to go up against a lot of guys that won awards over them. And I wonder how this team handles that because it's, you know, it, I think it's been used against Oklahoma so many times where Jason White, Sam Bradford, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray won Heisman trophies, but did not win at all. And that's, Something I think just to check in on how this Oklahoma team responds. I don't think Jalen Hurts is probably in his New York hotel room right now thinking, man, I, sh- I should have won. I should have won the Davey O'Brien, but he probably won't win the Heisman Trophy. And Oklahoma's going to face a Heisman Trophy winner potentially when Joe Burrow ultimately gets announced as, as the winner Saturday night. I don't think there's any chance that any other player gets it. So if, if you're listening to this after Saturday, I don't think I'm dating myself too much by saying Joe Burrow hasn't won it, but I think we've all kind of known that Joe Burrow's going to win it. Uh, I do think, and we, we kind of talk about this a little bit later, so I won't go too long on it, but I think it's a bit of a joke that Oklahoma or not Oklahoma, but the Heisman trophy, uh, selection committee uh only is inviting four it's joe burrow justin fields and chase young of ohio state and jalen hurts and i think that those four guys as deserving as they are i i think there's a fifth spot that should be held by maybe a jonathan taylor a chuba hubbard i think it's a little bit ridiculous that they don't take 
five players each year. Give five guys the opportunity to go to New York. I don't know why it fluctuates each and every season. And, you know, even if the guy, the fifth guy is so far behind the first, I, I still think it means a lot to these teams and these programs. And you can tell, even though so many people say, well, I don't really care about the Heisman Trophy. It's a, it's a meaningful award. It's lost its prestige. And then you go on Twitter and you get very upset when your guy doesn't make it. And a lot of it is this frustration that Blue Bloods have this advantage that if you're in the college football playoff and you have a really nice logo that the committee recognize, the voters recognize as something that they have seen before, that you have somewhat of an advantage, no matter if your stats aren't historically great. But I mean, I think there is a precedent to be said that if you're if you're on a team that has a losing record, you shouldn't be up for the Heisman Trophy. But there there's a case for I think a Jonathan Taylor to be in New York. I think there's a case for Chuba Hubbard to be in New York. Um, I don't think maybe J.K. Dobbins would have. Maybe he would have got in if Chase Young and Justin Fields weren't also there. We'll see what the totals are when they are released Saturday night. It'll be interesting to see how close J.K. Dobbins was to his Ohio State teammates. Uh, but overall, I'm I'm interested to watch, and this is coming from a guy that has written thousands and thousands of words about the Heisman Trophy. And so maybe I'm a little bit more invested than some other people, but I just think it's interesting that people go online and talk about how this award has lost prestige and doesn't mean as much anymore, and it's become a quarterback award. But then you get upset when your guy doesn't make it because I think if you didn't care, then you wouldn't be upset that your guy didn't make it. So just kind of a weird parallel, but I think it just kind of gets reinforced every year how much people are a little bit fed up with Heisman Trophy and what it's kind of become. Uh, but that's, you know, just just something to look out for. I'm excited to see wh- how they handle this trophy presentation because I think most of the country knows that Joe Burrow is going to win it. So uh, interesting to see that. It's also something that kind of to touch on what I was saying a little bit earlier, just as far as this is a weird time for Oklahoma where they are no longer the team that has all the individual accolades going into bowl season. And I do wonder just how this team responds to that. And I think that if anything, I think it bodes well, just to kind of answer that question. If you're wondering my thoughts on what Oklahoma goes for, where they go from here, I think it bodes well for Oklahoma psyche. I think it bodes well for the mentality because they're going to go into the Peach Bowl, and I think they're going to be locked in. I don't think you're going to see quite uh, as catastrophic of a start as you've seen in other OU bowl, big bowl games. And, you know, obviously 2017 uh, was a little bit of a different animal. But I think you're going to see a very focused Oklahoma team. I think they're going to be ready to prove themselves. And I think that Oklahoma is ready to rest these narratives that have already become old. They were old an hour after they were really been discussed at nauseum after Oklahoma was announced as the number four team, but it's only going to get worse as this gap between the Big 12 championship and the bowl game in Atlanta, as that gap just drags on and on and on. Um, it's going to be interesting to, to see how this team responds, but I think it'll be a good one. And I think if anything, Lincoln Riley's really good at tapping in to that mentality as you know, the whole, you know, we're just a bunch of pretenders type thing that he did in 2017. Um, I think he's, this is kind of what Lincoln Riley loves. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he approaches it. Last thing, uh, we will get more into national signing day next week. Don't talk about it with Shahan at all. So just to, you know, I'm sure people, I'm sure you guys are very excited about national signing day and I'm excited for it too. Uh, it's going to be a busy time 
uh, for all of us at, at the transcript, uh, kind of chasing down all of the local talent in Cleveland County, but as well as seeing who's going to sign with OU. Um, and we will have a, uh, we'll, we will have an episode next week to talk about national signing day. So looking forward to that. Anyway, uh, I have talked enough. Um, I will talk a little bit more, but I will bring on now Shahan J. Raja of Dave Campbell's Texas football. Hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. It was a lot of fun to have. Uh, so without further ado, Shahan J. Raja. Joining us now on the program is Shahan Jayaraja of TexasFootball.com. Shahan, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you coming on, man. It's uh, not been too long since we saw each other. Saw each other at the Big 12 title game last week. Uh, Oklahoma winning 30-23 to over the Baylor Bears in overtime. Quite the, quite the classic in Jerry world. Um, curious, just... As we kind of before we kind of get into what I, the the meat of I want to talk to you about, any just kind of as we kind of get further and further away removed from that game, do you come away from that with any more takeaways than maybe what you had on Saturday? Well, it's a little funny because I think obviously for Baylor people, the story from the day was obviously uh, the back of quarterbacks coming in and kind of saving the day, and it's kind of funny to me because I think that what happened in overtime, where you know Jacob Zeno was just a little bit overpowered, where they struggled to block. I mean, that's kind of what I expected in a lot of ways because, you know, you kind of think, okay, a true freshman quarterback's going to step in there and, and you really think he can come in and save the day too much. You know, it's kind of a lot to ask from somebody who is a little bit more of a developmental project quarterback. Um, and, you know, a lot of people think that the game kind of switched on Charlie Brewer going out. And there had been some Baylor people being like, well, you know, he hasn't played super well this year. It's time to get him out of the game. I think that that overtime was the perfect example of why you want your three-year starting quarterback in the game. So uh, look, at the end of the day, a team that was 1-11 two years ago was an overtime away from going to the college football playoff, and um, I think that's a perfectly fine place to leave it. It seems like Matt Rule is uh, doing quite a, quite a good job down in Waco. I mean, a, a better job than I think probably anyone could anticipate, and honestly gives me hope that I think as long as you have the right coach in place, you can win just about anywhere because I mean, if Baylor doesn't lose to Oklahoma twice, they're in the college football playoff and it makes me kind of look around the conference and sees guys like, I'm not trying to demean what guys like Gary Patterson and Mike Gundy have done at OSU and TCU. But I think you do kind of have to look at Baylor and say like, maybe we can do better than what we have, even though these are two legendary coaches that, you know, the fact that Matt rule has been able to do this at Baylor and I'm not trying to downgrade Baylor at the same time. No, by for making sure, a, for sure taking a cheap shot but i mean do you get that feeling too that like this is kind of or maybe is it more of an anomaly or do you feel like you know maybe guys can step into these these non-blue blood jobs and make it work where you're literally you know jalen hurts heroic like the best second half he could have ever had in waco and then oklahoma's defense deciding to show up um on a, on a saturday afternoon do you do you feel like the Matt Rule is kind of setting a precedent that maybe you you can win at non non blue bloods. Well, I think that the question is always going to be whether you can win at the very very top level. You know whether you can win a national championship and and look, I mean in, in the playoff era at least there hasn't really been a team that's gotten consistently closer than Baylor, obviously, to kind of crashing that party and and getting that chance. Uh, now, again, you know, I mean, I know that we're both friends with, with Keegan, who talks a lot about the blue chip ratio, and I do think that there's some merit to that, and Baylor's not close recruiting to that level. But at the same time, I think that you can look at the conference and see a couple of things. One, 
I think the biggest lesson at Baylor is that if you invest, you can raise the level of your program because not long ago, I mean, we're talking 2010, 2011, Baylor was playing in relatively poor facilities. They were obviously, you know, not recruiting at a high level. They didn't have all the things in place that you needed to have to have a successful program. And, and that's the reason why the Heisman Trophy was such a big deal for Baylor, right? Is because you finally had a program that felt like, okay, well, if we do the right things, we can be competitive. And I think that that's a lesson for, for a lot of places, right? Because I do think Matt Rule's a great coach, but I mean, I, is he a completely different level of coach than Mike Gundy or Gary Patterson? I mean, we'll see, you know, but, but I think that both those coaches too in Mike Gundy and Gary Patterson, obviously, uh, along with a couple others, like guys like Matt Campbell, maybe, you know, they're top level coaches. And if you can get the right level of investment at those schools, um, which I think, again, I mean, especially at TCU, I think we've seen that Oklahoma State, we've relatively seen that, I think you can. And the biggest thing that I think you take away from it from the conference and from the Big 12 is that right now, I feel like the conference has 10 very good coaches. And some of them are elite coaches, but I think that there are 10 coaches who a lot of people around the uh, the country would be happy to have. I think that's, I mean, you kind of hit it right there. It's just the coaching in this conference, I think, probably goes a little bit underrated. And the fact that this is year one, of what could be um, a really good group, a really good crop of coaches. And now, obviously, who knows who's going to move around or who might get fired within two to three years. But, I mean, this is a really good group. And uh, I think that the fact that kind of Oklahoma, just from Lincoln Riley's perspective, not saying that he he lucked out in having, you know, Matt Wells, Les Miles, um, Neil Brown, all in year ones of their tenure, but it definitely helps when you're kind of going through your own rebuilding process, which is, you know, a call, having a rebuilding process calling it a rebuilding year and making the college football playoff doesn't really seem right. Uh, but at the same time, I think you're going to get an even more challenging big 12, just the way things are going. One guy that I kind of, the, the reason I kind of bring up, you know, who knows who's going to be in this conference two to three years from now is the guy who is in Austin, Texas right now, Tom Herman. I'm not saying he's going to get fired this off season, but I mean, if another seven and five year gets rattled off at Texas, uh, you know, OU fans are going to be celebrating, but I don't think Tom Herman's going to be around much longer. If, uh, if this happens again, what do you get from being down in Texas and uh, just, or I guess maybe a little bit more tapped into that program. Um, just seeing kind of what, uh, is going on with the Longhorns? Is it surprise you how much they've struggled this year? I wasn't necessarily incredibly surprised how much they struggled. Like I kind of thought that they'd go maybe eight and four or maybe nine and three. I didn't think that this was necessarily a dominant team. I didn't think it was necessarily one uh, that was, you know, ready to compete for the playoff, but I did think that they were potentially a top 25 team. And I thought that, you know, they had as good a shot of any of making the big 12 title game, even if it was another sort of six and three conference slates. And uh, the thing that surprised me was one, how little the, offensive line developed. I mean, I think that coming into the year, you thought that would be a strength. And for most of the year, it was not defensively. Look, I, I think that some of those issues were be, to be expected. And to me, that's why I felt like firing Todd Orlando, while I understand why they felt like they had to do it. I mean, look, you had a whole room of underclassmen defensive backs and and you're Todd Orlando and your whole system is predicated on being able to press with your corners and play a lot of man coverage and 
you have a bunch of redshirt freshmen playing corner. I don't know what you expected, you know, if you're Texas. The, the bigger thing for me was I thought that the offense was going to be good enough to kind of make up for some of those flaws. And the other thing, too, is that I didn't necessarily think that Baylor was going to be an 11-1 team. That was another side of it, uh, even though I thought that they could be much improved. So, look, I mean, I think that the way that the coaching stuff happened after the season kind of shows you how hot a seat Tom Herman feels like he's on because – he fires one coordinator, he reassigns another, which are two moves that I'm not positive necessarily that he had to make, but obviously he's getting pressure from above to make him. So so look, I, I think that you head into next year if you're Texas and you feel like if you don't get back to the Big 12 championship game, it, it was a little bit of a disappointment of a season. Do you feel like that's the case? Do you feel like it's it's Texas? Are, are they one of the two teams that if you had to bet right now to, to get there, it would be them? I think that they are in the the small group that definitely would be a favorite. Now, I think uh, Baylor has a much tougher schedule next year. And the schedule is a big part of the reason that I think they went 11-1 and one and had a chance to make the playoff. But but next year, I think you could be talking about a team that's, that's just as good, if not better. They just have to fight a little bit more than they had to this year. But Texas has a little bit more of a favorable, uh, favorable schedule next year. Um, they do have to go to LSE, which obviously <laughs> maybe not the best thing in the world. But uh, then you look at Iowa State, too, I think. Um, you know, I think that those are sort of the teams, once again, next year that you'd expect to be at the top. Can't count out, uh, can't out a, a K-State, for example, in Oklahoma State. Those are always going to be contenders. But I think that Texas has a shot of getting to the Big 12 title game. But look, I also think the idea of them jumping up immediately with two brand new coordinators and a, you know, a bunch of brand new players on both sides of the ball and immediately being as good as Oklahoma, which is, I think what people will hope for. I mean, that's, that's a lot to ask from a couple of first year coordinators. And, and look at this point, we don't even know who they're going to be. It's going to be a lot to ask of anybody to develop a program that quickly. So uh, I think that they can definitely do it, but, but it's going to be a lot to ask. It's just insane that I think we kind of entered the year thinking that maybe Texas could be, or not necessarily uh, you and me, but there, there, I feel like there was a lot of national backing behind this Texas program saying that this could be a playoff team and that Sam Ellinger could be a Heisman contender. And that's just didn't happen. I know a lot of injuries were probably a part of why Texas's offense couldn't, uh, couldn't bail out a defense that just got depleted as the year went on. But at the same time, it just it's crazy to think where this team was back in September, competing, going toe-to-toe with LSU, putting up 38 points on the Tigers, who probably might win the national title. And I'm not trying to say that OU has no shot uh, in the Peach Bowl, but I, I mean, th- this, they're, they're in there. They're the number one team for a reason. Uh, right. But I mean, and kind of to, to pivot there, Oklahoma getting into the Peach Bowl to play LSU. I think a lot of there are some people I think within uh, locally that probably don't give OU much of any chance. I think this was probably the best matchup, and it might not even even be enough for Oklahoma to pull off the upset. But I think this is the best matchup for them of any of the other two um, to to face in the semifinal. What do you make of Oklahoma's chances after what you've seen from them? Uh, and you've seen them quite a few times this year, uh, having played Houston, uh, Texas, and then uh, Baylor. Yeah, yeah, no question. I think that, like you said, any matchup was going to be a little tough just because 
like you mentioned, I mean, this is kind of an, a rebuilding Oklahoma team getting into the playoff. I mean, look, I'm not going to unleash too many of my Jalen Hurts hot takes on this podcast, but but you oh know, boy, I think if, that if, if people could see our group text <laughs> message, I, I, I think they would be a little bit upset that you're on the pod. But <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I think he's a good player. We're not going to get into that right now, though, obviously. Um, but but I think that you know you do come into to this playoff, and I think that. It's more of a product of how good everybody else is. But, you know, Oklahoma's probably got the least consistent quarterback. I think that Oklahoma has a lot of nice pieces on defense, but so does everybody else. And they've got a lot of nice pieces on offense. And and C.D. Lamb is the type of player that maybe nobody else has. But I think everybody has those level of players, too. So um, I think you're right that LSU is the best matchup because they're not going to be able to totally shut down Oklahoma on offense. I mean, they just don't uh, play that way right now. They don't necessarily execute to that level. Um, you know, the big thing that I think is going to matter for this game is whether Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore and Ronnie Perkins can do some damage against the LSU offensive line because the reality is nobody has this year. I mean, that's been one of the most underrated parts of this LSU team is that they have played absolutely elite on the offensive line. And I don't necessarily know that having, you know, three or four really good uh, playmakers in that front seven is going to be enough to, to permeate it. But if they can, I mean, that's that's kind of the difference between great teams and, and national title level teams. And we saw that obviously a couple times this year that Oklahoma has had those playmakers on defense to be able to cause some issues. But but if you can, here's the issue, right? Then Joe Burrow gets plenty of time to look at the fields, throw the ball to Justin Jefferson and Jamar, uh, Jamar Chase. I mean, that's, that's a tough position to be in, you know, and it's a tough position to be in Oklahoma definitely has a chance. I mean, I think that CD lamb could be the best receiver on the field in this game. No question. But, uh, but I think that they're going to have to come out. Well, they're going to have to come out and not make mistakes, which has been a big issue, obviously for Oklahoma on offense this year. And, uh, and I think to eventually come away with the game, they have to have, Jalen Hurts not necessarily outplay Joe Burrow, but it has to be really, really dang close. I that, that's my thing. That's my hangup is outplaying Joe Burrow. I think that's going to be extremely difficult for Jalen Hurts. And I think, and kind of as we were joking it was before I can we kind of got into this conversation was you know some of your Jalen Hurts takes. I don't think any of them are as probably as bad as what some of you fans think of a Jalen Hurts. <laughs> because I think a lot of the fan base, and I mean, maybe not a lot, maybe I think there's a faction of the fan base that likes what Jalen Hurts is, likes what he's done. He's gotten Oklahoma to a college football playoff and won a fifth straight Big 12 title. That is all great and good. I think there are a lot of people, though, that would love to see, maybe not necessarily, I think they like the idea of Spencer Rattler, but I think they're more in love with the idea of Oklahoma having a vertical passing game again. And that's just not what they are. They're very much kind of a throwback team in terms of being able to run the ball and play pretty good defense. And kind of like you said, it's just when you get to the college football playoff, it's just you can flaunt that defense all you want saying like, oh, look, we have a defense now. But teams like LSU, Clemson, Ohio State are like, yeah, we, we've had one of those. And it just, <laughs> right. you know, you, you got to put the the, the 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 edge that I really like for Oklahoma, if there if there is an edge, is that I think that Lincoln Riley um, can be an X factor in this game as far as Definitely. giving him a month to prepare for, for Ed Orgeron. And I think that from kind of what we've heard from some of the teleconferences that have gone on between uh, Coach O and Coach Riley, 
have been that you know ed orgeron really admires what lincoln riley does and you know the the fact that uh a guy like that and coach has been been around the game for quite a while for him to to have that respect for lincoln riley i think says a lot about what lincoln riley is not that a coach is going to come out and say that lincoln riley is in a great offensive mind because he's proven that time and time again but that's one of the one of the things that I, i'm interested to really see uh the other thing is I'm just I'm curious how this defense stops Joe Burrow, who's probably as we're recording this, it's a Friday afternoon. Joe Burrow's probably going to win the Heisman uh, tomorrow. So and I was kind of timid to record this podcast before the Heisman before us knowing. But I think we have a pretty good idea that Joe Burrow is going to be the, the, the Heisman Trophy winner. Uh it's a weird position for Oklahoma to be in considering it's usually them with the Heisman trophy winner. And (laughs) they're usually going into the bowl game with, with all of the award winners, the, um, having guys like Baker, Kyler, but even before then, Sam Bradford won a Heisman. OU goes and loses to Florida, the national title game. OU, uh, or Jason white wins the Heisman and they go lose to LSU. Uh, so it's a weird kind of a switch for Oklahoma, I guess, to, to be on the side where they feel like they might have been snubbed. But um, I, and I know you don't cover the SEC, but just it, can you put into words as maybe a guy who probably watches the most college football of anyone I know, um, <laughs> just how good Joe Burrow has been um, in terms of what we've seen, uh, I guess, from past quarterbacks that have won this award? Yeah, well, well, I think that to really understand how good Joe Burrow has been this year, you have to go back to a game I was at last year, Texas A&M versus LSU, right? It went to seven overtimes, final score 74-72. And the most hilarious thing to me was that Texas A&M did not have a good pass defense and neither quarterback in that game threw for 300 yards, right? Like th- that's what we're talking about. We're talking about seven overtimes, neither quarterback threw for 300 yards. Joe Burrow was a not good quarterback last year. And all of a sudden they bring it in, they run a spread, they bring in Joe Brady to run their passing game. Uh, They obviously run a lot more spread concepts now. And obviously having some receiver development plays a part, but Joe Burrow has become a completely different player this year. He, I think it's fair to say, has risen to the level of being one of the best passers in the history of college football. And that's not something I I take lightly. But I, I mean, you look at his numbers, they are... Basically, in fact, let me let me take a step back. If you want to know what Joe Burrow is to LSU, he is basically what Baker Mayfield was to those Oklahoma teams, especially that last one. And even at times with a little bit more of a downfield passing threat. I mean, that's how special a player Joe Burrow is, or at least has been this season. I mean, his development has been the difference between an LSU team that has consistently won about 10 games and, and been very nice and finished top 10 in the country and been competitive and now one that is the favorites to win the national championship. That's how good he's been this year. Um, and, and that's how much he's meant to this team because, you know, LSU has had their troubles at quarterback for such a long time, even when they won their national title. And even when Jamarcus Russell was picked number one overall in the NFL draft, like, they didn't have a passing game like this, but now you have Burrow out there stretching the field. He makes some of these throws where he just throws guys open. And that's when you know you have a really special quarterback. And, and again, that's something that Baker did too. That's one reason that I love Baker Mayfield is because he was so good at throwing guys open. And that's something that Joe Burrow really does for this team. And and look, they've had playmakers for years and years and years, but he's the guy who's kind of coming and be able to wrangle it all together. And and again, I, I can't uh, not mention Joe Brady again, their passing game coordinator, uh, who technically isn't the offensive coordinator, but plays a big role in that offense, uh, along with Steve Ensminger, the nominal offensive coordinator as well. So this is a different LSU team. The funny thing about this game is that, you know, you see 
Edwards are on, on the sideline. You see Joe Burrow on the sidelines. But this is really going to be a chess match. This is going to be a chess match between Joe Brady versus Alex Grinch. And it's going to be a chess match also between Lincoln Riley versus uh, Dave Aranda, who has been considered for a long time one of the best offensive coordinators in really all of football at any level. So I'm really excited to see that side of things. I mean, again, I think LSU is a little better. That's not to take away at all from Oklahoma because LSU is just a phenomenal team. But but it's going to be interesting to watch how exactly both sides decide to come out and, and address this game and how they try to take advantage of each other's weaknesses. It's going to be exciting. And I think that this game, for what it was when it came out, when they announced that it was going to be the afternoon kick, I thought like, yeah, that makes sense. Clemson, Ohio State is going to be, you know, that's – that's the runaway primetime game. There was no question that was going to, whoever was going to play Clemson was going to get the primetime game. But I think maybe for the first, and you know, I'll probably get old takes, old takes exposed for this, but I think this might be the two best semifinal matchups we might have seen since that really that first year, 2014 was two really good ones. Um, if I'm re- remembering that correctly, I feel like those are two really close games or at least the, well, the, the, the one that wasn't close was phenomenal because it was the Jameis Winston fumble game. Remember? So, so it wasn't a close game, but it was a, a lot of fun to watch sort of Florida state collapse against Oregon. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say seeing Alabama lose and I think Florida state losing, right. that's what made them so fun or at least unpredictable. No um, no and, drove up interest and I think that I do think that Oklahoma has a chance in, the, in this game I don't think there's I mean if for for all the bulletin board material that ESPN can hand them out which they're giving them just an lifetime supply of over the past week and it's only gonna get worse like what the, this I think this entire month is good or the not a, it's not really a month but like the th- uh, three and a half weeks basically uh between these games uh just it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a drag I think it's gonna drag on for a long time but I'm excited about the bowl season obviously we'll, we'll have some really good ones I think the big 12 it's a really challenging slate but it's a really good slate um if you're just interested in big 12 teams taking on really good competition um outside of obviously Obviously, I'm sure, you know, Georgia and Baylor, you know, piques your interest quite a bit. Is there a bowl game from the Big 12 you're really looking forward to that you just and you might be covering it, but that you're just excited to sit down and watch? Yeah, yeah. Well, let me let me try and think through them real quick. So obviously one that affects me as a Texas reporter is Texas A&M versus Oklahoma State. And that's a game that would have been really interesting if it didn't look like every single good player for Oklahoma State just felt like sitting out. I mean, which I can't blame them, obviously. Uh, you know, quarterback Spencer Sanders dealing with an injury. Wide receiver Tyon Wallace is out. Uh, Chuba Hubbard says he's going to play. We'll see whether that changes before, between now and December 27th. But uh, obviously an opportunity to go against the old conference man is always one that I think everybody will take very seriously uh, another one in the state texas versus utah that one's an interesting opportunity for both these teams i think because uh you know in texas you've got a team that's underachieved all season long and now they get to go and play against a team that was one win away from the college football playoff and and look we won't get any of that georgia letdown potential with this game from utah because utah i mean i'm going to use a phrase that matt rule used after uh the big 12 championship game last last week Utah's not an entitled team. They're not going to take this opportunity against a really good team for for granted. So I'm really curious to see whether Texas is the team that we saw earlier in the year, you know, play well against Oklahoma and obviously play well against LSU, or whether this is the team that late in the year really got blitzed by a couple of different teams. Um, I'm trying to think who is who is Iowa State got this year. They've got a really good one. Notre Dame, 
Iowa State. And I am a big... Camping World Bowl, that's right. I am very anti-Camping World Bowl, but I do like this game quite a bit. And it's going to be the appetizer, if you will, uh, or one of the appetizers on December 28th, the day that we get the college football playoff semifinals. This is the 11 a.m. game on ABC. And I think that could be a delicious, delicious game of just two teams that I think Iowa State is going to make sure that Notre Dame is, you know, is engaged the entire time. I don't think that Iowa State's going to take that one lightly. Uh, and I think that the fan, they've already sold out their ticket allotment for that game. So wow. uh, Iowa State fans and in bowl games, like if you're a bowl if you're if you're if you're a bowl committee or if you're a bowl game just try to get iowa state you will sell all your tickets uh (laughs) they're going to travel really well um right right the other game you didn't mention which is just obviously you know probably off a lot of people's radars because it's the liberty bowl but navy and kansas state is just oh i forgot about that one that one's gonna be really fun (laughs) so beautifully ugly that i'm so excited to watch it um and i i i really i'm I'm, i mean that's gonna be a good uh new year's eve game to watch and uh that actually is the 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 double the the nighttime double header is navy kansas state and then utah texas follows both on espn so should be well i i do have to say this obviously isn't a a big 12 bowl game but sort of in that same vein of k-state versus navy uh you know who's playing against army this year i I actually don't know who's playing army washington state we're gonna have the extreme air raid going against the extreme option and basically this game is going to be that these two coaches are going to be speaking two totally different languages at each other right like like mike leach is going to be over here yelling chinese while basically uh gosh i'm blanking on the army coach's name right now jeff monkin i I think uh, you might be i think you might be wrong here it's air force washington state air force air force my bad wrong service academy wrong close though close though it's still gonna be fun points is we're, we're going to get some option football on one sideline and then some air raid on the other and these two programs are going to have absolutely no clue what to do with each other it's uh it's once again beautifully ugly it's going to be a great <laughs> game um before i get you out of here i do need to ask yeah just as far as uh the heisman tomorrow if i want to ask you this a little bit earlier but is there a guy that you're a little bit peeved maybe did or maybe you personally aren't peeved but a guy that probably deserved to get invited that didn't get invited i'm just curious yeah i i think that the biggest thing that i take away from this is that there's obviously a lot of push towards quarterback and there were two running backs this year that I'm not surprised that they weren't invited, but but Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State, I think, should have been invited. And I think Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin should have been invited because these were two guys who I don't think it's unfair to say completely carried their teams at times, especially, you know, Chuba Hubbard, a guy that's obviously we're all familiar with in the Big 12. I, I mean, that's a guy who once Spencer Sanders went out, I mean, he just basically ran the ball every single time. And if he wasn't going to run the ball, Oklahoma State had nothing and he still managed to be effective. And and in a similar vein, obviously, Jonathan Taylor, I, I think that this guy might be one of the most underrated running backs that has ever come through the sport because he is not that far off from from being one of the leading rushers in the history of football. He's got like over 5,000 yards after three years, and nobody has really noticed. And everybody's kind of taken it for granted and kind of thought, well, he's just part of the machine. But I'll tell you what, man, 
Jonathan Taylor is not part of the Wisconsin machine. He is a really good player. He's a guy who I think should get a lot more credit nationally. And I think that ultimately you look at how Wisconsin season went, making it to the Big Ten championship game and having another really good season, making another Rose Bowl. That was on Jonathan Taylor's back. I I think he deserved a lot more credit than he got. Uh, I'm I'm definitely with you. And the the fact that I think some – Oklahoma State fans, and I get it's your guy, but I, I think the fact that some Oklahoma State fans thought that Chuba was just the runaway favorite is just completely wrong. Uh, I think Jonathan Taylor is right up there, and uh, J.K. Dobbins as well. It's just a really good year of running backs. Um, and I do think that I think it's dumb that the Heisman doesn't have just one uniform number of guys they invite every year. Even if a guy was so far, a fifth place guy was so far away from the first place, I think giving that guy the trip to New York would mean yeah. something. And I well, think people and, would and like it more. Yeah, and that's something that that for me has always been sort of a little bit of a of a rallying point for me because look, here's the deal, right? Like you remember when Jordan Lynch made it to New York? Like nobody else really cared, but for Northern Illinois to know that they could get a guy on that stage. I mean, that was incredible. That was something that I think that he really deserved just for his efforts. And, and look, I think ultimately like just having the trip to New York is an honor in itself, right? Like the opportunity to do that, but, but especially like I mentioned, when you start opening it up to some of the guys who are not from power five conferences and giving them just a chance to at least be part of this, because right now it's so much like, okay, a quarterback from a playoff team. You know, that's that's three of the four finalists this year. You know, that, that kind of sucks. If, if you put a fifth guy in there and you get a Chuba Hubbard or you get a Jonathan Taylor or you even open it up uh, even more and obviously, you know, start looking at like a, a Kenneth Gainwell, for example, or, or Daryl Henderson last year, or, or even somebody who's not a Memphis running back. But, uh, but I think that that sort of stuff should be assumed. I think that sort of stuff should be constant. I think you're right. Five guys need to be there every year because just making it is, is such an accomplishment. And also the, the the television show that they put on wouldn't feel nearly as long if you had to get into five different stories, but that's just, you know, a little, little nerdy TV thing. Just kind of, <laughs> absolutely, kind of bores me, but, uh, Shahan, I appreciate you so much for coming on, man. Uh, it's always, a, it's always a joy talking to you and, uh, hopefully we'll see each other soon. Yeah, yeah, come on, hurry back, hurry back. We need you back in Dallas. <laughs> I, man, I every time I leave Dallas, I don't want to be leaving Dallas. It's one of my favorite places. Um, and we even we we didn't even really go to Dallas. We we stayed in Las Colinas, which what a what a beautiful like. I keep finding we keep staying in these little not little but like these places around Dallas that are so nice and just makes it always makes me want to like oh well, well maybe we'll try out this this suburb next time <laughs> so well well uh, as I mentioned to you Las Colinas is where I live now and uh, and don't worry we got space for you if you want to want to hurry up and move here so <laughs> I, I, I I appreciate that I, I will I will quite look into that so Jahan I <laughs> uh, appreciate you man busy bowl season busy travel schedule for you or are you kind of doing things remotely this year yeah, I, you know, so last year, well, one, I mean, I was, I, I got engaged basically in the time around it. So I was extremely busy. So I didn't really end up doing much of anything last year, but this year I'll be down at the Texas Bowl, Texas A&M versus Oklahoma State. And then we are driving to Houston and we are driving straight to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl. So that should be a lot of fun, a lot of driving, but, uh, but it should make for a fun break. It sounds like it, Sean. You have a good one, man. Yeah, you too.
Thanks again, everyone, for listening to another OU Football Podcast powered by the Norman Transcript. Another OU Football Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. So whether you're listening on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, you should be able to find us. If you do use Apple, we'd appreciate it if you left us a five-star rating and a review. It helps us tremendously and gets the word out about the show. Thank you once again for making us a part of your day, and we'll hope you'll tune in again for the next episode. On behalf of the Transcript Sports staff, my name is Joe Bettner, and we will catch you next time.